So open our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 7. It's our goal to get through the whole chapter this morning. Chapter 7 is what we call an explanatory interval chapter. Give you an example of what I mean. Chapter 6 closes with the sixth seal, and then the seventh seal is opened in chapter 8, verse 1. So we're going to see this in chapter 10 of Revelation. Um, We'll see it again when we get to chapters 17 and 18. Um, Information is being added. And uh, so part of the tribulation period uh, will have a chapter like this that goes on and explains other things that are happening besides just telling you that um, um, the judgments that fell uh, during the, the chapter six All of chapter 7, there's no seals being opened, but when we get to chapter 8, we read, and he opened the seventh seal. So this morning, we will deal with three main topics in chapter 7. Number one, we have four angels holding back the four winds of the earth. That's verse 1. The second thing we'll be looking at is the sealing of the 144,000, verses three through eight. And then the third thing we'll deal with is the saved tribulation saints in heaven. And that's verses nine through 17. So let's go back to verse one and jump right in. It said, after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth, that the sea should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Um, We call this the hydrologic cycle, otherwise known as the weather pattern. By the time we're done to do, I'm pretty sure one is passing through. (laughs) And you'll see the result I know that uh, the temperature is going to drop off big time Monday into Tuesday, and they use the terminology. We're going to have a cold front come through, and with the cold front, we're going to get rain as a result of it. Well, that can only happen when you have this um, hydrologic cycle that produces our weather patterns. And we have water evaporating, and then it moves over land, and it drops its water, and we all understand that. But here, uh, some information is being given that there's not going to be any wind. I want you to turn with me, if you would, um, to Revelation chapter 11, which is just a page away. And I'll give you the duration of time that this is going to happen. Uh, Of course, Revelation 11 is about the two witnesses. You know, I believe that they're Moses and Elijah. And they have supernatural powers. By the way, this is the same Elijah that said to King Ahab during the time of Ahab and Jezebel that it's not going to rain in the days of my prophecy until I say so. So no rain until I say so. And Jesus and James both confirmed that it did not rain for three and a half years. So we have it verified by Jesus, and James verifies it also. 
So they had power to bring plagues on the earth in Revelation 11. Um, We're told in verse four who they are. This is a fulfilled prophecy from Zechariah. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. Um, I want to make a point here that they're supernaturally protected because we're going to work that into also the 144,000. If anybody wants to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. All right, I want to just stop there. How long is the day of their prophecy? And the answer is in verse three. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And then what happens, and we'll come back to this later, is the Antichrist, who comes out of the bottomless pit, kills them. So how long is the day of their testimony? 1,260 days. Now, this is important in understanding verse one of chapter seven, so let's go back there. And um, the way I understand this, if it didn't rain in the days of their prophecy, that has to put us at the very beginning of the tribulation period. Because we know that the tribulation period is seven years long, and it's cut in half. So as I read verse one, I'm of the opinion that these things go back even before the seals, because that's how you get all the way up to the 1,260 days. And it also might give us some clarification on the judgments that fell, and these judgments in verse six fell upon the the earth. And the fourth seal, if you want to go look back at that, we find uh, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the four living creatures say, come and see, and a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and death followed him, and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. Now, if it doesn't rain for three and a half years, and you're a farmer, guess what? No crops. And it could explain, we, when we talked about this, we gave the numbers, if we're at about 8 billion right now, we're talking 2 billion people that are killed uh, all the way up to the, um, the fourth seal. So I'm of the opinion that the wind, even though it's, it, it says it, it just tells us it's the four corners, and people will say sarcastically, how dumb are those Christians? They think the... The earth is flat because it has four corners. No, we've been using that that terminology for years. North, south, east, and west. I mean, figure it out. (laughs) Somebody was telling us on Sunday that he has a job where he's so high in the air, he could actually see the the curvature of of the earth. So as we look at verse one, um, I believe it could contribute to the famines, because if it doesn't rain for three and a half years, you're not growing crops. And it could, and I'm using the word could, um, uh, pertain to 
um, no moisture falling for the first three and a half years. And again, I ask the question, are you kidding me? When you read something like this, and I always say, has this ever happened before? And the answer is absolutely yes. It happened with Elijah. And then it tells us the very last verse in the Old Testament that I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That tells me he shows up immediately after the rapture of the church. And that's the countdown of the 102,060 days. So, again, I take the opinion at verse 1 here, very strange event, that this water cycle pattern that we have, that's well known, is going to cease for a period of time of three and a half years. Let's go to verses 2 through 8. I'm going to read them um, quickly. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth and sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. Tribe of Levi, 12,000. Tribe of Issachar, 12,000. Tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. Tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Before I tell you who they are, let me tell you who they're not. (laughs) You already know where I'm going with this one. (laughs) They are not Jehovah Witnesses. I'll be talking about them in a second, but let me just tell you a little bit what they believe. The Jehovah Witnesses identify themselves as 144,000. Uh, They claim they're the only ones who will get into heaven. Then, in the 1930s, they reached the 144,000 faithful witnesses. They had to do something else because the Lord didn't come when they thought he would. Thus, they made a new multitude which would dwell upon the earth. Uh, These won't make the heavenly scene, but will live in peace on the earth and uh, bear children into the kingdom age. Another group, um, Herbert W. Armstrong's group, they also believe they're the 144,000. There's a group called um, the Children of God. Uh, They left in the 80s. They believe they're the 144,000, and they're all in Europe right now, and it's a full-on cult, and so are Jehovah Witnesses full-on cult, and so is Herbert W. Armstrong. Uh, They bring another gospel. Now, before I tell you my story with my experiences with my Jehovah Witness friends, is if you're taking notes, 2 John chapter 1, verse 10 says this. If anybody comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. And I'd allow them to come in and then I read this verse one day, and I said, I can't allow these guys to come in. 
So whenever they come in the neighborhood, I said, well, I can come out to you, but you can't come in to me. And they don't quite understand um, what that means. And, um, and then I evaluate. I evaluate who I'm talking to. Something happened to me when I lived in Aspen. And I was witnessing to a Jehovah Witness. And um, he didn't want to hear it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You let me tell you about the Jesus of the Bible, and I'll go to one of your Jehovah Witnesses meetings. He says, okay. So it was a, I'm glad I went. It was quite a learning experience. I found out just how much they don't know <laughs> real quick. And this particular night, uh, they had made a circle. They put two chairs in the middle. And you had a guy who was well-versed in being a Jehovah Witness, and then you had the rookie, and he's learning how to do it. And so basically, they say, now when you go to a person's house, knock on the door, this is what you say. And uh, they will respond nine out of ten times this way, maybe by quoting a scripture, whatever. And when they do that, then you do this. And they have about, I would say, maybe 20 scriptures. That's the vocabulary for the entire Bible. And that's pretty much it, because most people don't know their Bible, and they'll usually have them sucked in unless you know your Bible. And so I I was glad I went, because I thought, these guys don't know anything. They just know, and it's all a training thing. They never send two leaders together. There's always one who is um, um, the trainer, and then there's the other one who's more quiet and is learning just how to be a Jehovah Witness. So one time, um, I had a um, couple come to my house, and they knocked on the door, and um, I was observing, and I had it figured out already who was who, and um, I said, well, you know, I have a problem, because in Revelation chapter 7, where we get the 144,000, by the way, let's I told them, let's turn there. I said, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And they go, oh, yeah, sure, we do, we believe that. So I said, okay, well, it seems really clear to me that the Holy Spirit's going out of his way to say exactly who these 144,000 people are. Not only are they the tribes of Israel, but they name them by name. And they're trained to respond to that. And as they're trained to respond, they say, well, that doesn't apply anymore. And I said, really, why not? He says, well, they rejected Jesus. And because they rejected Jesus, Jesus rejected them. Basically, we're talking replacement theology here. So that's us now. And I, and I said, well, that's really too bad because you're not gonna make it to heaven. That, that number was full in 1930. So the best you can do is stand here on, on, uh, on, on this and this earth. And then I said, by the way, you think God is through with Israel. Turn with me to um, Romans chapter nine, Romans chapter 11. And this is what I literally do when they come. I said, now let me see if I understand you correctly. God is through with Israel. That's what you believe. You also told me that you believe the Bible is the word of God. They go, yes. And then I give them the Bible and I said, I want you to read this out loud. So if you're in Romans chapter 11, verse one, 
It says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And I say, stop, read it again. (laughs) And I'll make him read it again. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And I said, you need to read it one more time. So they're getting a little uncomfortable because it's clearly saying here, he's not done with them. And I said, as long as we're in chapter 11, let's go down to verse 26. And it says, and so all Israel will be saved as, by the way, I make them read this out loud. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now you say you believe the Bible. And you say that God has cast away his people, and you just read out loud to me that that's not the case at all. By this time, I figured out who's the leader and who's the trainee. I completely ignored the leader, and I turned to the trainee. You're in a cult, and you're being indoctrinated right now, and you need to run for your life. And then... <laughs> Then they start to figure out, this guy knows the Bible better than we do. And they go, well, we gotta go now. <laughs> no, this, seriously, this happens every single time. They say, well, we gotta go now. I said, okay, I'm gonna come with you. <laughs> I steal the story, some of you aren't old enough to remember Roy Rogers or Dale Evans, but most of us do. Did you know they were very, very strong Christians? And I'm stealing the story and learned to do what she did. Because when they found out that uh, Dale knew the Bible better than they did, they said, well, gotta go. And Dale said, well, I'm gonna have to go with you. I can't let you tell my neighbors, whom I love, this heresy that you wanna spend. So every time Jehovah Witnesses come to my house, they're actually trying to get away, and I've actually stood on the other side of them so they they could. And I said, okay, let's go. One time, uh, I had a a lake house on Lake Winnebago for a couple of years, and a guy and a gal showed up. And the gal was the trainee, and the guy was the the guy that was the leader. And um, as I was watching her, it was so obvious that the only reason she's there, she has a crush on this guy. <laughs> so after I got through the preliminary arguments, I say, by the way, the only reason she's here is she likes you. She turned red in the face. <laughs> and then I said, okay, let's go, I'm going with you. What do you mean you're going with us? I'm gonna go with you to, to our neighbor's house. And they said, you won't do that. And I said, and they started walking, I started walking with them. <laughs> They kept looking back to see if I was still following them. They got to my neighbor's house and they stopped and they they didn't know what to do. And they usually go out in a team and there's usually a car waiting for them down there. And when they saw that I was following them, they just went wait for the car and out of my neighborhood. (laughs) Okay, that's my little fun story I have with, with Jehovah Witnesses. Don't let them into your house, but... There's a person here that isn't better equipped biblically uh, to deal with uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Just take them to Romans 11, read a couple scriptures. It's very, very clear God is not done with his people 
And it's very, very clear in Revelation chapter seven that we are talking about Jewish people. Good place for an amen. amen. So we're dealing with the tribes of Israel. Let's go back to chapter seven, where we read, um, I actually learned some things because there's at least five or six places in the Bible that'll give you a different order and different names for the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, In this case, Dan, the tribe of Dan, is omitted. And the reason the tribe of Dan is omitted is because they were the ones responsible in the city of Dan for setting up the golden calf, introducing idolatry into Israel. And as a result, they're not on the list. And another case that I was researching this morning is Reuben is mentioned here, um, but he's not mentioned in, I think it's Deuteronomy. And the reason is Reuben went in and defiled his father's bed. And Reuben is taken out, and Manasseh and Asher are added. And then you have the tribe of Judah. If you remember, David, Joseph got a double portion. He got Ephraim and he got uh, Manasseh. Here, Ephraim, uh, Dan, is not mentioned. But I want to do a little side track here and um, have you turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 18. Give me a moment to get there. Judges chapter 18 explains what Dan did. Let's pick it up in verse 29. By the way, we visit this when we go to Israel, this very city. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city before it was Laish. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves a carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests in the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made at that time at the house of God that was at Shiloh. He's excluded, and his name is not in the book of Revelation. Now I'm going to make a spiritual application later to that point, but to show a picture of God's grace, turn to Ezekiel chapter 48, and while you're turning, let me explain that Ezekiel, from chapter 40 to 48, is nothing but detailed instructions of what to do and how to do it during the 1,000 year millennial reign. And the Jews will be gathered back into the land. And what we have in 48 is the 12 tribes of Israel, and it gets very specific about their borders, where one tribe's border ends and when another tribe's border begins. Now, he's not in the book in Revelation chapter seven, but he's the first one mentioned in the millennial kingdom. What we could have went on to read when we were uh, in Romans. It says, in the day that I take away their sin. So now, 
their sin has been taken away because of the gospel. And verse one says, now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hethon at the entrance of Hethon of Hazer Enon, the border of Damascus, southward in the direction of Hammon. There shall be one portion for Dan to the east to the west side by the border of Dan. He's the first one mentioned. He's the first one that gets land when they enter into the kingdom age. What's your point, Dwight? Well, there's this verse in Habakkuk 3.2 that says this. In wrath, remember mercy. And even though, because of his sin, his name is not written in the book, but because of grace, he's the very first one on the list when they enter into the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that he's number one. He's the first one on the list that's actually mentioned. Now, we're told that these 144,000 are supernaturally sealed and protected. And I want to give you a couple examples of that. So let's make our way back to the book of Revelation and have you go to chapter 9. We'll be there in a couple weeks to me. It is one of the wildest, strangest chapters in the Bible. We are in the fifth trumpet judgment, and I'm going to read verses one through four. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now these are not scorpions as you would think because there's a great detail of, um, of their appearance. They have hair like women. They have teeth like lion's teeth, breastplates. Um, Uh, They have tails like scorpion tails. They have power to hurt men for five months. And it says they have a king over them of the bottomless pit whose name in in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek it's, it's Apollyon. So we're dealing with demons here. But these demons are told that they cannot, um, as they come out of the pit, verse four, they're commanded not to harm the grass of the earth. Well, that's what locusts do. Not these guys, or any green thing or any tree, notice, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Now we're reverting back to the 144,000 who have this seal, and um, everybody else, it says they actually pursue death. Verse six says, men will seek to die and not find it. They will desire to die and they will flee from them. Now that's weird. I mean, you do enough damage to your body, and you're dead. And people are going to be trying to do that, but the spirit will refuse to leave the body. Told you it was a weird chapter. (laughs) And we'll we'll get into detail in a couple weeks when we actually deal with this. I bring you to it now, 
only to show that they are supernaturally protected by these judgments that are coming upon the sea and the earth. Turn with me to chapter 14. We find the 144,000 again written here. And before I go any farther, I have to tell you this. There are very good Bible teachers, some I admire and look up to, who don't agree about these 144,000 being the same 144,000 that we find in chapter seven. And they have a pretty good argument. But to me, some of these are a different group uh, and they're divided on who they are and that they're protected for the full seven year duration of time. And there's others myself included, that believe it is the same 144,000 of chapter seven, uh, but they are killed. Uh, Just as the two witnesses, they were protected, and anybody that tried to harm them, what happened? They were killed. They had unlimited power. But if you go back to chapter um, 11, Notice verse seven talking about the two witnesses. When they had finished their testimony, that's why they're uh, the 144,000 witnessing along with the two witnesses. The beast who ascends out of the bottomless pit makes war against them and overcomes them and kills them. Well, I thought nobody could harm them. Well, evidently not so. And evidently the three and a half years of no rain comes to an end. That's the days of their prophecy. Now, if you look back at chapter 13, Revelation 13, this is why I hold to this opinion that I believe they're also killed. We read after the Antichrist is um, assassinated, comes back to life again. Um, in verse seven, it said, he was granted to, for him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Notice verse eight, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the foundation of the Lamb's book of life. The reason I'm giving you my opinion here, and I cannot be dogmatic, is I really don't know 100% for sure. But my personal opinion is that um, what we have in view here is the same 144,000, but um, I don't believe that they're gonna worship him. It does clarify that by saying those names are not put in the Lamb's Book of Life. And um, we find this also in Matthew chapter uh, 24. Well, for those of you who know me, you're, you're thinking this through in your mind, okay, Uh, Dwight, you're always saying that God always leaves a witness. In the Old Testament, Israel was a witness. At the end of the Old Testament, uh, into the New Testament, well, the church of Jesus Christ is a witness. Good place for an amen. Amen. We're to be salt and light. Um, We are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's going to come to an end. Um, 
when I was in uh, Romans 11, uh, verse 25, it says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Um, Well, let's just go back to it because it ties in real good. Romans 11 says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that hardness in part has happened to Israel until, that's a big word, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The implication is the church age is going to come to an end at the rapture of the church. And then what? Well, then we have exactly what Malachi said, Elijah showing up, and uh, they will be witnesses with the 144,000. Can you imagine the revival that's gonna happen when they see the miracles that the two witnesses do and uh, nobody can kill the 144,000? They're gonna be scattered world, worldwide. And okay, Dwight, if that's your opinion, then we have a problem because now if the 144,000 are killed, where's your witness? I'm sure glad you asked me that question this morning. Because if you're in Revelation 7, the last verse we read was um, in, no, it's in Revelation 13, I think. Yeah, Revelation, no, Revelation 14. And um, we're talking, let's read verse, verse 1. And I looked to behold the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of the harpists playing with their harps. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, keep in mind, we're not at the end of the tribulation. We haven't even started the bowl judgments yet. And then the terminology here in verse four is similar to that in chapter seven. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So we have 144,000 eunuchs that have taken a vow of celibacy. This is consistent with the group in chapter seven. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes, and they're redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile. They are without fault before the throne of God. I think they're in heaven. Well, Dwight, you got a problem. No more witnessing. Read the next verse. Verse seven says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Doesn't use the 144,000, doesn't use the two witnesses, doesn't limit God. He has an angel. My personal conviction, when it talks about this gospel of the kingdom, will go into all the world and then the end shall come. Some think it's the 144,000 that accomplishes. I personally believe because of the, the verbiage here, it's the same as Matthew 24. It says, 
to all who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tongue and tribe and people. And then the end shall come. So the gospel will be presented and we have another one following after this. We had a Bible study on Babylon and this angel is saying Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen, has fallen and is uh, a great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now this is an important word because we see it used in the Old Testament to describe the great tribulation. And as far as I know, it's the only time it's used in the book of Revelation. So indignation um, would be this period of time. So, um, as I said earlier, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. There are others um, that could be absolutely right on it. All right, let's go back to chapter 7. And phase 1 of our study was the wind not blowing. Part 2 of our study was the sealing of the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, in verses 9 through 17, we have this great multitude of people that get saved. Let me start by saying the result of the witnessing of the 144,000 and the two witnesses during this period of time takes us all the way out to the end of the tribulation period where there's such a great multitude of people and they're in heaven. So as I read these to you, um, I believe it fills in the question that we had in chapter six, if you go back to chapter six, under the fifth seal. There are gonna be Christians that are gonna get killed during the period of time of the six seals. And they're talking. And when verse nine says, when he opened, chapter six, verse nine, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, they're martyrs, and for the testimony which they had. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should wait, rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now remember I said chapter seven is an intern chapter that fills in details. And it also answers a question um, that's asked in the, in the fifth seal. They had to wait for the rest of them that were going to be martyred. That's what we're having here. This is the rest of them. Verse nine, after these things I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white 
robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they all fell faces before saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Another good place for an amen. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, well, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. In other words, he's saying, I don't. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall hunger, not neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them, nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As we start to wind this up this morning, I'd like to make some personal applications, saw some things I've never seen before, especially as it relates to Dan. So I need you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. We'll pick it up in verse seven through 14 and I'll read a couple more from chapter two. Ephesians one, we're switching gears and just looking at grace versus works and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according both the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and things which are on earth in him, in whom we have also obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who are first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were what? You were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and glory of God. Go to chapter two, verses four through nine. It tells us, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and were made alive together with Christ by the good works that you did to earn them. 
I'm purposely doing that, of course. No, it is grace and only grace. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show that exceeding richness of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And here it is. For by grace you have been saved through that, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We do good works, but only because we're saved. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I'm gonna make an analogy here that if you're taking notes of Romans 11, verse six, how many people do we know, if you would ask them? you have any clue what's really going on right now in the world? They'd probably say no. And then if you would ask them, well, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they'd take it through, and um, they sort of feel that God judges on a bell curve. And... Um, I'm bad, I know I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. And they don't know scriptures like, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. That my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, I think I got a pretty good heart. And if you ask somebody who doesn't know this book, and there are denominations, the largest one in the world, say you cannot be saved apart from good works. And um, that is part of the sacraments that when you add it all up, you might only have to spend a little bit of time in purgatory. Not very comforting. So what Romans eleven six says, it makes it very, very clear because most of the people you know think this way. Are you going to heaven? Yeah, I think I am. Um, I know some of these uh, rioters that are out right now killing people. I know they're going to hell, for sure. But Romans eleven six says, if it's by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer work. You cannot have it both ways. Need an amen for that one. But here's the, here's the deal, guys. If I'm any part of the equation, if you're any part of the equation of salvation, I will guarantee you will screw it up. Do you have any doubt about that? (laughs) So, God loves you, and he wants to show you that love. God wants to wash away your sins, and he's ready to do it. But you have to acknowledge that that's really who I am. I am really not a good person, deep down inside. And if there's any goodness that comes out, it has to come from the Lord. Every good and precious gift comes from where? Above. So we have to give the credit where the credit is due. But this is what it does. That's the truth, what I just told you. And my Bible says, if you know the truth, what's it going to do for you? It'll set you free. But if you put yourself anywhere in there, your conscience isn't going to be clean. It'll be thinking something bad that you did that you're gonna have to deal with. And so God is right now ready to put his mark on you. The 144,000 were given the seal of God on their forehead. 
But God wants to seal you today. He wants to put his mark of ownership on you today. The seal he wants to put on you is his Holy Spirit. The church is sealed with the Holy Spirit. The down payment until the redemption of the purchased possession. You see, God bought you and me, and Jesus Christ purchased you and me. I belong to him. How do I know he'll carry out his deal? Because he's already made the down payment. He put his mark of ownership on me by giving me the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God claims me as his, he has stamped me. Now, knowing that I belong to God is incredible. Even though I mess up at times, even though I may fall and fail God at times, even though I don't live a perfect life all day long, every day, still, that seal is upon me. I'm his property. He brings me in, cleans me up, and sets me back up. He says, okay, let's try it again. God wants to make you his child today. He wants to seal you. That's what the gospel is all about. God can change your life. God will change your life if you'll just give him the chance. God can make everything new. But here's what I didn't see before. This morning, well, this morning my Bible study, I thought before I leave the house I'd leave wisdom for today and as I'm opening and closing with this, because it is my Bible study this morning, I started thinking about Dan. What about Dan? Well, until grace came and grace was given, his name is not in the book. Do you see where I'm going with this? But what happens after grace comes and they enter into the millennium kingdom? Oh, his name is not only in the book, but it's the first one. Now, there is a book of life. And if you are born again, um, people look at the book of life in two ways. And that is every person who has ever been born, his name is in that book. And that's why he says to one of the churches, this is a promise, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Well, that means it's probably already there, but in order to keep it there, you have to accept Christ. The other view is when you call on Jesus Christ to save you, then he, like Dan, who wasn't in the book of life, like Dan, all of a sudden, your name is added to the book of life. Revelation 20 says, and anyone whose name was not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. My friends, this is nothing um, um, to... um, not take as the most serious decision you could ever, ever make in your life. And people are thinking now, like they've never thought before, and reevaluating what's really important in life. Uh, Tell me what's the most important thing for you 100 years from today. You see, none of this will be here. I don't, I'm I'm hoping Thanksgiving. (laughs) I think it'd make a wonderful Christmas present. But, in, in, uh, I, this is a last minute thing, but I, I thought, well, I have to close with it because it's sp- so spot on in our study. So I'll close with this. It's Pastor Chuck's September 6th, God's Good News. And I will close 
with this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first. Hmm. And also for the Greek. In Paul's earlier years, he was caught up in a religious system, which is works, where man sought to be justified before God by keeping the law. But the law was never intended to make man righteous before God. The law was intended to show man what a sinner he was and to make the whole world guilty before him. So when Paul came to know the truth, when he encountered Jesus Christ and found salvation based on his righteousness and not the righteousness of man, Paul happily uh, threw away his false notion of good works and became eager to share this good news with others. The gospel sets men free. It is the power of God to salvation. What a joy it is to see lives transformed by this good news. It shines light in the darkness, breaks the bondage of sin. This power, this good news of its salvation is not for the Jews exclusively. Hmm, I bet you JWs that have a hard going with that one. But for everyone who believes, it is for the whole world. Oh, what a glorious message of hope and salvation we have received. May we not keep this good news to ourselves. May we never be ashamed of the truth we have received. May we, like Paul, be ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the needy world in which we live. Amen? Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. How grateful we are, Father, that you did love us so much that you sent your only begotten Son. And as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer was, Father, if there's any other way that man can be saved apart from me going to the cross, then that's what I want. And then he said, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Lord, we know there's no other way apart from Jesus Christ. In his time of political correctness and many roads and ways to heaven, give us boldness. Help us stand upon the truth that there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. So we thank you for Revelation chapter seven this morning and uh, the fact that you sealed uh, these, these Jewish people. Such a beautiful picture how you've sealed us with your Holy Spirit. So go before us the rest of this holiday weekend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.